be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, reading there in the fourth chapter, especially the 13th verse. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In Christ Jesus. It is a rather gloomy Sunday morning, isn't it? But I hope that all of us are glad that we are here in God's house in this hour of worship. You heard me mention that today is the 25th Sunday after Trinity. It is also the last Sunday after Trinity. Today, in other words, brings to an end another church year. Next Sunday is the first Sunday in Advent, and the Advent season ushers in that period of the church year when we look forward to Christmas. And it's been the custom in the ancient church for generations to set aside the last Sunday of the church year as a memorial Sunday for the Christian dead. It is called Totem Fest, or the Festival of the Dead. And the Epistle lesson from the ancient church for this, the 25th Sunday after Trinity, is very appropriate for the occasion. It is taken out of Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. If you recall that Paul and Silas and Timothy, they crossed over into Europe on their second missionary journey, and they came to the city of Philippi up in Macedonia. Here they were in Europe. And from Philippi, they came down to the city of Thessalonica. It was a city named after Thessalonica, who was the half-sister of Alexander the Great. Here the apostle was only able to remain for about four weeks when he was driven out of the town, but he was able to establish a Christian congregation in Thessalonica. He left then and went to Berea. And when he got to Berea, he sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to see how things were going. And then he later met Timothy over in Corinth down in Greece. And Timothy came back and he said, uh, the people in Thessalonica, the Christians there are troubled. There have been some deaths of their own believers. And they are very much upset and they're wondering about those that have died before Christ's second coming. They are wondering, are they lost since they have died before Jesus have come? What about the Christian dead? And they were very much confused. And then it was that the Apostle Paul, by inspiration of God, wrote this, his first letter, to that congregation in Thessalonica, talking to them about their Christian dead. And that's why he says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. Old Thessalonian Christians, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. He said, I want to inform you and tell you about your Christian dead so that you will not sorrow with tears of hopelessness, but that you will sorrow and you will weep with tears of hope, with tears of comfort, with tears of solace, with tears of joy. And so he pled with them. He said, listen, Thessalonian Christian, as regards your Christian dad, he says, don't grieve with tears of hopelessness like the heathen, like those without Christ do, but let your grieving be with tears of hope, with tears of comfort, with tears of joy. And today on this, as you and I on this last Sunday of the church year, 
As we think of our Christian dead, especially those who have passed away in this last year, those that have passed away in Christ in the years before this, the Apostle Paul, speaking to us concerning our Christian dead, he says, will you please, Christians, as regards your Christian dead, will you see to it that you will weep tears not of hopelessness, not of despair, not of despondency for them, but will you in your weeping, will you weep tears of hope, of comfort, of solace, and of joy? We may say to ourselves, well, Paul, it's pretty difficult for us to heed that call from you, that we are to see that our grief will not be tears of hopelessness, but that our grief will show itself in tears of comfort and of hope, we may say. But after all, it's so difficult because for what reason can we stop grieving and crying tears of hopelessness rather to have tears of hope? We may say, look at our situation. There is that empty chair in our home. Our loved one has been taken. We died a little when death came to our house. Think of our loneliness. Think of the heartache that has come. And we may say in fits again when the faith seems so weak, we may say if there was only some good reason why in our grief we would grieve with tears of hope, but is there a good reason as we face reality and we say, death came to our house this past year, and it's lonely. We are alone, and we are very much disturbed. And yet when Paul was writing to the Thessalonians, he said this. For he said, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, he says, Thessalonians, you want a good reason why I would ask you that you will weep not tears of hopelessness, but that you will weep tears of hope. Uh, don't we believe that Jesus died and rose again? Isn't that the very center of our faith? Isn't that what I preach to you, he tells them? And because Jesus died and rose again, because of this fact, he tells them, here is the great wonderful reason why we as Christians, when we think about our Christian dead, why we can grieve with tears of hope and tears of comfort and tears of joy. And on this, the last Sunday of this year, on this token fest, this Memorial Sunday, let's look and see what wonderful assurance we have. What a wonderful reason for comfort because we do believe that Christ who died, he rose again. What wonderful assurance comes to you and me as regards our Christian dead in that glorious reality. Because in the first place, Paul reminds you and me that, again, the fact that he who died rose again assures you and me beyond the shadow of a doubt that Christ atoned for the sins of our departed Christian dead even as he atoned for your sins and mine. Isn't that right? When Christ died on the cross, didn't he take unto himself the guilt and punishment of, again, the sins of our Christian dead as well as yours and mine? And you and I say, of course he did. And didn't our Christian dead in baptism, didn't they come to know Christ as Lord and Savior? And didn't they die putting their faith and trust in him? And therefore, because they did, and Christ atoned for their sins too, Therefore, Christ merited a robe of righteousness for them, even as he has merited a robe of righteousness for you and me too. Isn't that right? And therefore, when death came to them, 
your loved ones and mine, and because through faith in Jesus they had on the robe of righteousness which Christ merited on the cross for them, think of the assurance we have that because Christ died and rose again, assuring us that he merited a robe for them, we have this assurance that our Christian dead, they have passed through that first judgment and that they are now in heaven with their Lord. We may say this morning, where are the Christian dead? And there are those who are saying, is the soul immortal? Can you separate the soul from the body? Is it true, as some would have you and me believe, that when death comes to our loved ones, that both the soul and the body die? Is the soul immortal? What about the word of God? The Apostle Paul said, It is appointed unto a man once to die, and after that the judgment. He said, I would like to depart and to be with Christ. The Word of God says that when death comes to your loved one and mine, and the soul separates from the body, the soul stands before God in judgment. Your loved ones and mine stood before the bar of divine justice. But they had faith in Jesus Christ and they had on his robe of righteousness. And because they did, when God looked at them and saw the spotless robe of Christ's righteousness, which was theirs by faith in him, that God said, this court has nothing against you. In that tremendous judgment that decides the eternal destiny of men, they stood and they received a verdict of acquittal. Because when you have on the robe of Christ's righteousness, God has nothing against you and me. And therefore they have passed through not only the agony of death as you and I must still pass through it, but they have stood before the bar of God. And they have received a verdict not guilty. And they have heard their Lord say, Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Where are our Christian dead now? Are they asleep in the grave in some suspended animation awaiting the resurrection or are they with Christ? When you and I go back to Calvary, we have that answer. When here was the penitent thief on the right side of Jesus, when he had repented of his sins and he turned to Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. What did Jesus say to him? He said, today, malefactor, today, not at the end of time, but today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Is the grave paradise? Is the grave anything like the Garden of Eden? A paradise, a beautiful part, God forbid. And then Jesus said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Jesus did not look upon soul and body as one entity. He talked about his spirit and he talked about his body. He commended his spirit to his heavenly Father. He, with his soul, his spirit, went to heaven with the soul of the malefactor. You and I have this tremendous comfort today as we think of our Christian dead, that they have passed through the ordeal of death, that they have passed through the first judgment. It is decided once and for all, and they are in the eternal mansions of heaven, their souls, not their bodies, enjoying to completeness the joys of, again, the eternal mansions which Christ has been preparing for them that love him without their bodies to be sure. As far as the soul is concerned, gone forever any temptation. As far as the soul is concerned, gone forever any sorrow, any kind of molestation, any ability even to sin in the unspeakable riches of Jesus Christ. And we say to ourselves then on this festival of the dead, I thank God I can therefore see to it that I will not weep tears of hopelessness 
But I will weep tears of hope and of comfort and of solace and of joy because there's no reason for tears of hopelessness as regards your Christian dead and mine. We can envy them. They are in the presence of God. And when we look to the Word of God, we say, do they know what is going on down here on earth? We have no passage that tells us that. And therefore, I think as Christians, we can safely assume that in the eternal mansions of God, they don't know what is going on down here in the joy and the bliss of being with their Lord. And therefore, on this token fest, on this the festival, when we think of our Christian dead, when Paul says, please, Christians, as he spoke to the Thessalonians, he said, will you grieve not with tears of hopelessness, but will you grieve with tears of hope that we ought to say, I am going to heed that call of Paul, and therefore I am determined that mine will not be tears of hopelessness, but they will be tears of hope. And sometimes, you know, we're even bothered about tears, aren't we? We say, is it right for a Christian to die when death comes to a loved one? Is grief itself wrong? And, oh, friends, listen, when Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus, we read in the Word of God that Jesus wept. He was grieved. The man was so sick. And we say to ourselves, grief is a blessing of God. God made you and me capable of grief. I stood at a casket one day with a mother standing there and here was her only daughter. And oh, what comfort was given that day, I shall never forget. Some would come up and say, keep your chin up. I don't let this get you down. I keep a stiff upper lip. And I thought, oh God, what heathen comfort. And finally, when we were alone, she looked up at me with a look of despair and she said, Reverend, is it wrong for me to cry? And I says, oh God, no, get rid of it. And oh, the tears came like torrents and she wept. And she sobbed. Is there anything wrong with grief? You and I grieve in the loneliness that comes. If you've had any experience with death, it isn't the day of the funeral, is it? It's the day that comes after the funeral, when we are alone, when there is that vacant chair, or when again we say a bit of us died, when we see our loved one in all the little things in life. Grief is a blessing that God makes you and me capable of. We say, isn't it self-pity? Well, when God asks me to pity you, is there anything wrong in pitying myself? We do pity ourselves. There's nothing wrong with grief and loneliness. Why well, even have grief for my dog, Pumpkin? Yes, even when age, if you've had a pet, when you've got to pick him up and he can no longer climb stairs, and you take him outside, you carry him out, you carry him back in. God makes you and me capable of grief because, again, there are attachments even we have to pets. And what attachments there must come. And again, our own loved ones. And when they're gone, can we cry? Listen, friend, you can cry buckets if you want to. But let's watch in the tears that we shed, in the grief that we are capable of, that again, it never goes into tears of hopelessness. That it isn't grief whereby we say, oh, I'm in despair and I'm in despondency. And then we get bitter at God. And we say to God, God, why did you take my loved one? Or why did death come to my house? That we must watch. But oh, you can shed buckets of tears if you want to. Grief is a blessing from God that you and I can cry. But oh, let's see that they are tears and that it's going to be grief with hope. And then the joy of this is that we can accept what God has brought. And we can say to ourselves, even in self-pity, we can say, I thank God that my loved one knew Christ. I wouldn't wish him or her back for the world because they passed through this agony of death they have passed through that first judgment. They are in the eternal mansions with Christ. 
oh, to envy them, but not to feel sorry for them in hopelessness. Today is token fest, and it's good that we set this last Sunday aside as a memorial Sunday, and we say to ourselves, what about our Christian dead? Is there any hope? Is there any comfort? And Paul says, listen, Christians, as he wrote to the Thessalonians, said, listen, he said, please, in your grief, grieve, but don't let them be tears of hopelessness. Let them be tears of hope. Let your grieving have a sense of hope and a sense of joy and a sense of comfort about it because Paul said, here's the good reason. Don't we believe that Christ who died rose again? What greater reason do you want, Paul would say? What greater comfort could you possibly have than to know that your Lord who died arose again? And oh, that brings tremendous assurance because in the second place, Paul reminds you and me that because he who died rose again, it assures us beyond the shadow of doubt that Christ will raise up the bodies of our Christian dead at the last day, even as he will raise up all bodies. He wrote to the Thessalonians, what about the body? You may say bodies to be raised from the dead. What about our loved ones whose bodies rest in the grave? Why, Paul, in writing to the Thessalonians, he tells them why the dead even have an edge. They have a slight edge over those Christians who will be alive at that day because Paul reminds them that the dead in Christ are going to arise first. So he's talking to the Thessalonians who are the living Christians and talking about the dead Christians. He said, the dead Christians are going to arise before the living Christians are going to be changed. He is not talking about, again, uh, the heathen, but we know on the basis of Christ that on that day not only will dead Christians be raised, but dead unbelievers will be raised. And not only will Christians who are alive be changed, but everybody who's alive will be changed. Here is a contrast between the dead and the living. We ought to realize this, that our Christian dead have a slight edge. If we should happen to be alive at the last day, uh, they're going to be raised first. And Paul says, And this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain shall not precede them which are asleep. For he says, The Lord shall come with a great shout and with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we may say, Oh, how can a body that is returned to the elements, earth to earth, uh, dust to dust, and ashes to ashes. How can such a body arise again? But we've got a Christ who died and who rose again. Don't forget that. Here is the thing. If Christ was able to raise himself from the grave, was able to bring his body back, then my Christ is big enough that he says, Because I live, ye shall live also. The hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear my voice and shall come forth. I don't care where the dust of my Christian dead is, whether again they lie in Flanders fields and whether the bodies are blown to bits in Vietnam or whether again the dust of the Christian dead shall end up in some of it in the Pacific and some in the Atlantic. My Christ who raised his own body is going to raise their body and it will be a glorified and incorruptible body. It will be a body that like again his body and you and I may say what about it? I know it will be a body that will be holy and perfect and there will be no sin. There will be no sickness. There will be no contamination. It will be a body like unto the body of the Son of God. And what a comfort. And they have the edge. And then Paul assures us that our Christian dead with glorified bodies shall take part in the grand rapture. Oh, what a tremendous picture Paul paints here that when Christ comes again. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. When Christ comes, he will bring our loved ones, those who are with him in heaven, 
those souls that are with him. And when he comes, it will be an end of time. And then those who come with him shall first put on glorified bodies, and then they together with the Christians on earth at that time, whose bodies shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye into glorified bodies, shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's the rapture. What a tremendous picture that when Christ comes with a shout, I wonder what the shout's going to be. It doesn't say. I'm coming. Is it going to be dead come forth? And then the shout of the archangel. There's only one archangel mentioned in Scripture. That's Michael. I wonder what he's going to shout. And then the trump of God is going to blast. And then the dead raised in Christ and the Christian shall again be a welcoming community. Come on, Jesus. That's the rapture. Tremendous. To come to earth. The dead will take part in the rapture. What a welcoming committee. Ah, Jesus, you've come. Tremendous, wonderful, magnificent. Is it any wonder that Paul says, Oh, again, comfort one another with these words. And when you and I can say this as we think of our Christian dead, Oh, again, are we going to weep tears of hopelessness? Is our grief going to be that of desperation and despondency and we don't want to live? Oh, Paul says, oh, don't let your grief be like that. Grieve and cry all you want to. But let your tears be tears of hope. Let them be tears of comfort and tears of joy. Why, you can envy your Christian dead. They're not going to miss a thing. And we ought to say to ourselves then today, I'm going to see to it when he calls to me that in my grief, and I can cry buckets, and I can cry tears and tears, but they will never be tears of hopelessness. My tears in desperation, in loneliness, when again I have died a little because a loved one has been taken, I'm going to cry tears of hope and tears of comfort, and I'm going to show it in my Christian life, in showing love and mercy and kindness to others. We ought to, as Christians, with this kind of hope, because Christ who died rose again, we ought to show it. I think of the Stanford family. They were a wealthy family. They had only one son. His name was Leland. And death came to Leland Stanford. And the family, again, a Christian family blessed with wealth, was, they wanted to show that their grief for that son, Leland, was not a grief of despondency and despair. And so they gave their wealth to establish a college out in Palo Alto, California, Leland Stanford University, that other boys and girls might be educated and also might learn to know Jesus Christ. And there was the family, the Crittenden family, that had only one daughter, Florence. And when she passed away, and oh, again, they died a little, but there was a Christian hope for their Christian dead. And their wealth was used to establish Florence Crittenden homes throughout the United States where unwed mothers might go and have attention and have Christian comfort as again they would give birth to a child born out of wedlock. You and I may say, How can, what can I do when again I shall weep tears and I shall grieve, but they shall be tears of hope. Oh, for God's sakes, in your life and mine, lest again we get despondent and we become despairing to go out and to show love and mercy and kindness. And then what a comfort it is, what a gracious privilege when death comes to the Christians in other homes to be able to go and to extend sympathy. Do you realize what a privilege it is? I wonder how many of us realize for the moment what it means when we as a Christian, when we go and we extend sympathy to someone else where death has come. Do you understand? You may not say a word, but just to shake hands. 
when death has come to your house and mine, or again, we've got a Christ. Jesus is the resurrection of the life. Have you any idea what comfort you and I can give and what solace and what peace in the privilege? Oh, sometimes we forget, don't we? We get too busy. But we ought to go when death comes because, if again, you and I, yes, we can weep with those that weep. When ours are tears of hope, just what one word might mean. What a privilege, friend, to stop at the funeral home or to attend the service and to speak a word in grief. But a word of hope, do we realize? What, again, what great rocks of strength and comfort you and I can be. This is token question, it's well. This isn't a day that we become morbid, but we think of our Christian dead and we say, no wonder those up in Thessalonica, they were so disturbed and we're rather glad that they were so that the Holy Spirit through Paul could write such tremendous words and Paul said, oh, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning them which are falling asleep. Oh, I don't want you to sorrow and to have tears and to grieve without hope, to be hopeless. Oh, no, Christians, he said. I want you to grieve and to have hope and comfort and solace and joy. Why? Why don't we believe that Christ who died rose again? And you and I say certainly we do. That's the foundation of our faith. And what tremendous assurance because Paul also assures us because of the fact that Christ who died rose again, this assures us that he's going to create new heavens and a new earth for the Christian dead. Oh, we turn to John, and the Apostle John tells us, and I, John, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And all that new heaven, that new earth, you see, when the rapture is over, when the Christians have greeted him and said, come on, Lord, they're coming back to earth, not back to heaven. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. It's going to be different than the way it is now. God's home is going to be united with the new earth. John says, and I, John, saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. John saw God's home, God's heaven. He saw it in vision coming down and being joined to the new earth. Just think, heaven and earth joined together forever. God with, and again, the tabernacle of God is with men. This is it, that our Christ will be there. And again, the new heaven and the new earth for our Christian dead as well as for us who believe in him. And thus the eternal comfort for us that as far as our Christian dead are concerned, they have no fear of the judgment of the last day. They look forward to, again, the new heaven and the new earth, which will be even more perfect than the mansions above because our dead will be with Christ in body. Oh, there's a final judgment coming, but those of our Christian dead who have passed through the first judgment, where again the decision has been made in Christ, they have no fear of that judgment that will take place at the last day when before Christ will be gathered all nations and the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. They know that the decision has been made, but they are saying, that's the recognition judgment. They have no fear of that. They know that they are saved, and they know that in the new heavens and the new earth they will enjoy that new creation with their bodies. You see, we are human beings and God gave us bodies and after again Christ comes, heaven will be the eternal enjoyment, both body and soul. More complete. Our Christians are enjoying the complete joy that can come to the soul. And when Christ returns, there will be added the joy that comes with the body reunited to the soul. And when you and I can say, oh, what comfort we do have 
And then we say, as we look back in this year, and we say, look at what's come to our home and look back in the years. And sure, we shed tears, and you can shed them by the buckets if you want to. Don't let anybody tell you that when you're lonely, you can't cry. But oh, don't let them be tears of hopelessness, tears of despair, tears of despondency. But let them be tears of joy, tears of real comfort, tears of hope, tears of solace. And when we decide this is what it's going to be, we're not going to grieve as the heathen about our Christian dead. Uh, then we're going to shed tears, but tears of hope when we go to the cemetery. Oh, so many get comfort out of going to the cemetery, and a lot of us don't. If there is comfort in the cemetery, you go. The word cemetery is a beautiful word, isn't it? It means a sleeping place. It refers to the body, not to the soul. In other words, the word cemetery says, here is a temporary place where we deposit the bodies of our loved ones because Jesus is coming again and those bodies are going to come forth. What a tremendous sight on Resurrection Day when the earth shall give up its bodies. Tremendous, amazing, so terrific that men say, oh, the thought is it's beyond human comprehension that it is. But Christ died and rose again. Don't forget that. Don't make him so small. My Christ who raised himself, he is so big that when he calls forth the dead, the bodies of all the dead will come forth. Glorified bodies and this joy. And then we shall be reunited with our loved ones and with our Christ forever and forever. What a tremendous scene that day when the casket lid went down on your loved one or mine. Well, that wasn't goodbye forever, oh no. It was Alveder Zane until we meet again in a relationship that transcends the finest in earth. To be able on that day, hi, mother, hi, dad, reunited, sister and brother. And in the marriage relationship, even beyond, again, there will be no marrying or giving marriage. It will be a relationship that even transcends that, which again, staggers your imagination and mind. To be reunited and to stand and to see our Christ. And there's the thing I, I love about the body of Jesus that is said, spoken of in Scripture, that he, he bears the prince, you know, in his hands and in his side and in his feet. And we may say firsthand, well, isn't his body going to be glorified? Isn't that an imperfection that he's got nail prints in his hand and that spear hole in his side? Oh, no. No, he, he's got them. Here's his badge of honor, and I believe he's got them with him for a reason. When you and I are in heaven with our loved ones and we can look at him, we'll be eternally reminded that he died for us, that he loves us. The badge of honor will never, never, never in heaven ever question his love and will always feel at home because we'll be eternally reminded when we see him constantly, he died for me. And with our loved ones to stand before the throne and to be able to sing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And to be able, at the end of another church year, Oh, you can cry buckets if you want to, but to walk but with smiles and the tears 
to be able to sing of the glory road as we think of our Christian dead and whispering hope like the song of the angels. Jesus, thy love is sweet music, sweet music to me. And it is because, you see, our Christ that died, he rose again. He's coming back. That's sweet music. Cry buckets, but let your grief be a grief of hope. What a Christ. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.